but speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in all things into Him who is the head, Christ. Ephesians 4.15 Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the grace to embody this principle in our daily interactions. Help us to speak the truth, but let that truth always be wrapped in love. Guide us so that our words may build up rather than tear down, encourage rather than discourage, heal rather than hurt. In our quest for maturity and faith, make us aware that it is not just about what we say, but about how we say it. Cause us to reflect the love and wisdom of Jesus in all our dealings with family, friends, colleagues, and even strangers. Thank you, Father, for the example of your Son, who is the embodiment of speaking the truth in love. Empower us with your Spirit and pepper everything we say with love, dignity, and respect for our fellow humans. May we grow like Jesus each day and walk in your ways, in your word, and in your righteousness. We love you, Lord, and we expect you to transform us from the inside out. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Welcome to Pray News, where hope is our only bias. Today's news at a glance, the government shutdown seems inevitable. The GOP presidential candidates did their best to separate themselves from Trump in the last debate. Were they successful? And thousands of migrants flood into San Diego, testing the city's generous infrastructure. Today's stories remind us of an uncomfortable truth. Not everything is black and white. Sometimes we wish life could be clumped into two categories of right or wrong, and we can go about our business without stress. But that's not always the case. Life gives us nuance and throws unexpected curveballs our way. The government shutdown features many people who are all vying for their versions of right. The presidential debates feature candidates who have both redeeming and shady qualities. And the migrant crisis on the border brings us to the continual debate between safety, security, empathy, and welcoming. So while what's right and wrong may not always be clear, we can lean on the never-changing Word of God to refine our characters and make us more like Jesus. That way we can tackle any situation with discernment, wisdom, love, and empathy. Will we always get it right? Of course not. Will we sometimes stumble and faceplant through life? You bet. But will Jesus have us the whole way through? Yeah. And are we always hoping to be better today than we were yesterday? Yes. We're glad you're here. We pray today's take on the news leaves you both informed, but also transformed from the inside out with the gospel of Jesus. If you've enjoyed this take on the news, would you consider writing us a review and share your thoughts? We would love to hear how this has blessed you. Before we get into today's first story, let's hear a word from these sponsors. As the nation stands on the precipice of yet another government shutdown, both the lawmakers and the public find themselves entangled in a web of questions, concerns, and a myriad of consequences. The White House, gearing up for the worst, has started advising federal agencies on what to do in case of a shutdown. Congress, while attempting to pass a bipartisan stopgap bill, finds itself at a crossroads. The fate of a critical government service hangs in the balance, raising the stakes for the countless people who depend on them. The United States is no stranger to government shutdowns, having experienced 21 since 1976. Each has left varying degrees of impact, affecting everything from public services to federal employment. The uncertainty that looms over Washington, D.C. is palpable. Agencies have readied plans to cope, but the nature of such a shutdown means significant interruptions to daily life, for hundreds of thousands of Americans will likely occur. Speaker Kevin McCarthy finds himself in a quagmire as he works to build support for an alternative funding bill for House Republicans, revealing a divided legislative body grappling with governance. The division happening within the House right now represents a great deal of the division within our country. 
when we ponder what might be affected by the shutdown, we have to consider programs like special supplementational nutritional programs for women, infants, and children across the world. According to Agriculture Secretary Tom Velsack, nearly 7 million women and children could lose critical access to food if a shutdown occurs. This strikes at the core of our societal values, calling into question the stewardship of the government. Only essential services, but also tourism-driven communities, private sector employees, and scientific research projects face risk of severe disruption because of this shutdown. You know who still gets paid though, right? Yep, Congress. While much remains uncertain, the White House seeks to hold House Republicans responsible for this standoff. On the other side, members of Congress argue over the particulars of the bill. One fact remains consistent, though. Government employees who carry out critical services will likely continue to work, but without pay. Yet, last time this occurred, they went so long without pay that they had to stop going to work altogether. They needed to start doing things and picking up jobs that would actually put food on the table. So, the longer this carries out, the more severe impact it's going to have. Yet, Congress members will still receive their salaries, as stipulated by the Constitution, and that raises ethical questions about fairness and responsibility. Congress is responsible for getting this done, and if they don't get it done, people aren't going to get paid. But Congress will still get paid. You see the nuance that we're dealing with here? Employees who find themselves furloughed during the government shutdown will eventually receive back pay thanks to Government Employee Fair Treatment Act of 2019. We learned the hard way that these furloughed employees need to eventually get their paychecks when the government gets up and running again. However, federal contractors, they are in a more precarious situation, lacking such guarantees when they're furloughed. This disparity raises questions about the uniformity of treatment of those who keep the wheels of governments in motion. Because it's not just government employees, it's also contractors that are contracted by the government from the private sector that will lose a significant amount of work. In times of crisis, it's essential to revert to the core principles that guide us as individuals. From a Christian standpoint, the concept of stewardship takes a heightened sense of importance here. The Bible says that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, Psalm 24, 1. We're mere stewards of God's world in this creation, and this extends to governance. Being in a position of power is not just about wielding authority, it's about responsibility, caring for the most vulnerable among us, and ensuring that justice and fairness are the cornerstones upon which decisions are made. As Congress navigates these tumultuous waters, it would do well to remember the principle of stewardship. The responsibility to govern justly and fairly and promptly is not just a secular obligation, but also a spiritual one. Lawmakers must think not only to their immediate impact of their decisions, but the long-lasting effects on those who are most affected by them. As the clock ticks closer to a potential shutdown, it's crucial for all parties to come together and remember their duty is to the American people that they represent and to steward the people well and resources well, providing for people, safeguarding the nation, and operating in a manner that is reflective both of good governance but also the integrity of our moral society. The power of governance comes with the responsibility of stewardship. Failure to this duty is a failure to the nation and to the very principles that hold society together. So, with all this being said, let's pray in this chaotic moment. Dear Lord, we pray for the wisdom and guidance for our lawmakers as they navigate this critical situation. Help them to remember the principle of stewardship, to care for the vulnerable, and to act justly and promptly. May they find common ground to avert a crisis and serve the best interests of the nation, not just a select few. We pray these things with trust that you are our ultimate provider and that you are going to guide and protect and provide for those that might be severely affected by this crisis. 
We love you, Lord, and we trust you in these times. In Jesus' name, amen. The second GOP presidential debate held at the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library in Simi Valley, California, was an evening of heated exchanges, sharp criticism, and strained attempts at capturing public attention. However, despite the fervor and the urgency expressed by the seven candidates on stage, none appeared to make a significant dent in challenging former President Donald Trump's status as the frontrunner for the Republican nomination. It almost seemed like a sad affair where everyone was vying for second place. Donald Trump chose to skip the debate, instead holding a rally in Michigan. This move was criticized by some candidates, notably Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie. Christie went as far to say that Trump was missing in action and afraid, and even coined the term Donald Duck to highlight him ducking the debate. Despite this, the candidates were generally cautious when it came to attacking Trump's policies, perhaps wary of alienating Trump's significant base of supporters. As we just said, it seems as though everyone's vying for second place, just in case anything happens to Donald Trump with all of his legal woes that are happening. And instead of focusing their criticisms on Trump, the candidates largely turned their attention towards each other. Former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley clashed with multiple opponents, particularly businessman Vivek Ramaswamy and South Carolina Senator Tim Scott. Haley threw a lot of jabs and was critical of Trump's approach to China and Republican lawmakers' stances on potential government shutdowns. Senator Tim Scott, who recently has been struggling in the polls, took an uncharacteristic turn. He was aggressive, lashing out at Haley and other candidates on several issues, including the gas tax and spending. But it seemed unnatural for him because he's notoriously a nice guy. DeSantis, meanwhile, tried to return the focus to President Biden, urging his colleagues to concentrate on the issues that matter and focusing on beating the Democrats. DeSantis, however, would benefit most from tackling Trump head-on since he's second place in the polls right now. One prominent issue was the United Auto Workers strike, where the candidates seemed divided and uncertain or non-committal. They attempted to balance sympathy for the workers and criticism for President Biden's economic policies without explicitly siding with either of the workers or the automakers. Ramaswamy and Haley, in particular, had opposing views on reaching out to younger voters through platforms like TikTok, which Haley referred to as one of the most dangerous social media platforms we've ever seen. One of the biggest losers of this debate was actually the moderators, who several times lost control of the conversation. The conversation often devolved into a yelling match where people were trying to speak over one another continually. And there was an interesting moment that came when the moderators asked candidates to, quote, vote a candidate off the island in an apparent attempt to gauge rivalries and alliances between these candidates. Most candidates refused to participate, although Christie named Trump, who wasn't there. This perhaps indicates the complexity of the field and how large a field could continue to benefit Trump, who remains a towering figure in the party. With the first primary voting beginning in less than four months, the urgency for the candidates to make a mark was palpable, and there seemed to be an anxiety about it all. Despite the clashes and criticisms, however, the debate did little to change the perception that Trump remains the candidate to beat for everyone. From a perspective of a believer, the debate serves as a reminder of the need for discernment and wisdom in political engagement. Candidates and voters alike should be cautious not to let the heat of the political moment overshadow the core principles that guide life. Love, justice, truth, gentleness, patience, kindness, self-control. The Bible teaches us to speak the truth in love in Ephesians 4.15, and as such, it's imperative for candidates to approach debates and policy discussions with a sense of responsibility, honesty, and fairness. But us as the public, in turn, should also hold them accountable to these standards, as well as strive to do that ourselves. Are we speaking the truth in love? 
Are we not backing down from our convictions, but are we doing so in a way that honors the dignity of the people we're speaking to? In a time when divisiveness seems to be the order of the day, us Christians should look to the teachings of Jesus who calls his followers to be peacemakers. And this doesn't mean avoiding difficult topics, obviously, but rather approaching them with a sense of humility, grace, and awareness that sometimes we get things wrong, and love. Traits that are often absent in the cutthroat world of politics, but ever the more needed in our everyday discourse. So with all this being said, let's lift this story up in prayer. Lord, as we navigate the complexities of political discourse, grant us the wisdom to discern truth from distraction. May candidates and voters alike embody the principles of love, justice, truth, these things that you teach us, Lord. Help us to be peacemakers in a divided world, speaking the truth in love, holding to our convictions, but also holding other leaders accountable for these virtues as well. We love you, Lord. Help us to navigate these times with grace. In Jesus' name, amen. San Diego, often hailed as America's finest city, is currently grappling with a complicated humanitarian crisis. A white bus pulls up at a local park, depositing about 50 migrants each day, including men, women, and children. The park is their new temporary home, and many seem bewildered as they try to navigate an unfamiliar landscape. Local shelters equipped to accommodate roughly 950 beds are bursting at the seams in San Diego. The migrant population over the past two weeks is estimated at around 7,800, according to county officials. This led to the county's Board of Supervisors declaring it a humanitarian crisis. San Diego is a border city near Mexico that has taken the brunt of refugees, migrants, and other visitors fleeing intensifying political, economic, and humanitarian conditions in South America, specifically Nicaragua and Guatemala. The situation has sparked a range of reactions among local officials and aid groups. The executive director of the Immigrant Defenders Law Center states that many of the migrants are released on the streets with little more than clothes that they wear. Her organization has set up a makeshift aid center at the park, offering some respite from the weary travelers. However, the Biden administration acknowledges that the influx of migrants is putting a strain on existing governmental systems. Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Moracas insists that newly created legal pathways are deterring some border crossings. But the number of refugees and migrants on the streets of San Diego speak to a different reality where border agents are forced to release migrants into communities as a last-ditch resort. The San Diego Community Board of Supervisors is clamoring for more federal assistance to manage the crisis. The strain is felt by local government and volunteers extending help in any way that they can, from offering hotel vouchers to rides to the airport the need for federal funding is acute, but what programs should be sacrificed to fund this response? And the looming government shutdown is not going to make this any easier. In fact, this might present a huge crisis for the city of San Diego if nothing's done soon. In times of crisis, our moral compass as a community is tested. For us as believers, the biblical directive to welcome the stranger is a calling that deeply is embedded in the tenets of our faith. The Bible narrates countless stories of migration, often prompted by famine, war, or divine instruction. Abraham himself was a migrant, called to leave the homeland and go to a land that God would have for him. The Israelites spent 40 years as wanderers and refugees, and Jesus himself was a refugee in Egypt. But what does that mean to welcome the stranger? Does it mean opening our borders unconditionally? Or should this be balanced with practical considerations for the well-being of the current inhabitants and citizens? It's a challenging dilemma. There's security issues. There's humanitarian issues. There's children to think about, but there's schools that are overrun. 
perhaps it's not just about opening borders, but also about opening hearts and opening a pathway of discussion to figure out what these solutions might be. Finding ways to offer aid and showing compassion while also addressing logistical and systematic issues. It's not an easy thing to tackle. Balancing compassion with capacity is an arduous task, but it's essential to remember the dignity inherent in each person, understanding that every migrant has a story of hardship, of hope, and of a desperate quest for a better life for them and every generation after them. So, with all this being said, we're not going to claim to have the exact solutions, but we are going to lean on the one who does. Heavenly Father, we bring this before you, this crisis unfolding in San Diego. It's a challenge that's testing people's compassion and resources and values. Grant wisdom to those in positions of authority that they might navigate this complex issue in a way that upholds dignity and worth for every human being. Equip and encourage the body of Christ to mobilize and meet these needs and to help be peacemakers in this community. Help volunteers, local officials, and organizations striving to meet immediate needs while also thinking about long-term solutions. Guide people with wisdom, Lord. Let us remember your call to welcome the stranger, even as we wrestle with the logistical and ethical complexities of all of it. Would you guide us by your character, Lord? Would you guide us into wisdom? And would you help all of us every single day to make decisions that impact your kingdom first and foremost and reflect your love, mercy, compassion, truth, and character? We love you, Lord. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today on Pray News. It is our aim to be informed and transformed. We pray today you would proceed with hope, love, and determination to be a force for good. If you've enjoyed this take on the news, consider writing us a review and share your experience. We would love to hear from you. You can sign up for our newsletter at praynews.com. There you'll find sources to all of our reporting. And be sure to download the Pray.com app to make prayer a priority in your life and experience the Bible in new, cinematic, and exciting ways. God bless.